Hi, welcome to Living Water Bible Fellowship's audio sermons. It's our prayer and hope that you'll be encouraged and uplifted by the preaching of God's Word. Stick around after the message to hear more about how to contact us. Well, happy Labor Day weekend. I, I always wondered that on Labor Day weekend if I should preach on work or not. So did I, today I decided to preach on work and labor. Anybody working today? Anybody got to go to work later? It's a day of rest. What's the purpose of work? How should we think about work? I mean, uh, many of you, maybe some of you are retired, you don't have a paying job anymore, but you still work. Uh, why does God have us work? What, what is the purpose of work? How shall we think about our work? And God bless the reading of his word. I want to start in very practical ways. So the book of Proverbs, if you turn to the book of Proverbs, chapter 10, Proverbs chapter 10, verse 4. Purpose of work, practical purpose of work. Well, it's uh, many, many Proverbs. I'm just going to select a few here. Uh, chapter, four, chapter 10, verse 4. A slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. Okay, so we, we get wealth through our work. We get money through our work. We get things to take care of ourselves through our work. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 11. Whoever works his land will have plenty of bread, but he who follows worthless pursuits lacks sense. So again, the, uh, the working, the labor, the putting out effort leads to us having food, us having what we need to take care of ourselves, to survive. Uh, chapter 24, verse 30, and, and if you looked up, uh, you know, there's, there's so many references here. You look up laziness, you look up diligence, you look up hard work, you'll see the Proverbs, the, the wisdom of God is so full of uh, teachings. But chapter 24, verse 30, look at chapter 24, verse 30. I passed the field of a sluggard by the vineyard of a man making, lacking sense. And behold, it was all overgrown with thorns. The ground was covered with nettles. Its stone wall was broken down. And I saw and considered it. I looked and received instruction. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. Now, we live in a different world than the agricultural, maybe the rural environment. Maybe we don't live so different from them. But they, and back in the day, it was a hand-to-mouth existence. If you didn't work, if you didn't take care of your field, if you didn't take care of your animals, if you didn't put out the labor, you didn't eat. And so the Proverbs are full of warnings about being a slacker, being a sluggard, being a sponge, being a mooch, being somebody that doesn't work for their living. So we, we work for wealth, we work for our, our daily bread, we, we don't become lazy, idle people because that leads to poverty. There's so many different ways that uh, Proverbs describes the importance of work, but one of the most famous is Proverbs 30, 31. Uh, I, I will preface this, uh, if you look at chapter 31, verse 15, book of Proverbs, I'll preface this by sometimes uh, women feel guilty uh, when they read this passage. It's almost like, here's the perfect woman. 
but it really summarizes so much of the teaching in the book of Proverbs. It captures the outcomes of a certain way of living. Chapter 31, verse 15. She rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household and portions for her maidens. So uh, one, one benefit of working hard is providing food for your employees, providing sustenance and, and jobs for your workers. She can, considers a field and buys it. With the fruit of her hand, she plants a vineyard. Uh, you know, by the produce that we, that we produce, the pr products that we produce, we bless other people, we bless our community. Whatever our vocation, whatever our job is, we're a blessing to others. In this case, a vineyard, the, uh, the fruit of a vineyard. She dresses herself with strengths and makes her arms strong. She perceives that her merchandise is profitable. Her lamp does not go out at night. Here's someone who knows how to work hard. She puts her hand to the distaff and her hands hold the spindle. So she's sewing things, she's weaving things together again to bless people. She opens her hands to the poor, reaches out her hands to the needy. So she's providing products and she's uh, not only selling those and, and blessing people with their products, but she's taking care of the needy in her midst, taking care of the poor. She is not afraid of snow for her household, for all her household are clothed in scarlet. So her family is taken care of. Her family is provided for even in those dark, cold, snowy SLV winters. She makes bed coverings for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and, linen and purple. Her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. So her, her, her diligence, her hard work allows her husband to serve in city leadership. Strength and dignity, uh, uh, verse 24, she makes linen garments and sells them. She delivers sashes to the merchants. Strength and dignity are clothing, and she laughs at the time to come. She opens her mouth with wisdom. Her teaching of kindness is on her tongue. She looks well to the ways of her household and does not need the bread, does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her, so respect and honor. Many women have done excellently but you surpass them all. Charm is deceitful and beauty is in vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. There's something about working hard, using what God has given us as an act of worship to God. Awe of God, submitting to God, serving God by our hands. Give her the fruit of her hands and let her works praise her in the gates. Uh, just a many summary, many, many reasons why hard work matters. How practical purposes, practical outcomes in our life we're blessed. We're able to take care of our family. We're able to take care of ourselves. We're able to take care of others. We're able to bless our community. We're able to bless employees. The, 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 the ripples in the pond just go on and on and on by our hard work. Even if you don't realize it sometimes, how you're providing for people or taking care of people, even if you're never acknowledged by the community, even if you're never praised, never, you never get respected. Your hard work in God's sight is well done. Uh, other practical purposes. Uh, in, in the New Testament, there's, there's uh, one, uh, one town that's known for its idleness, known for its laziness, Thessalonica. If you turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 9. The Apostle Paul actually has to call out church members for uh, acting in worldly ways, acting uh, as if they're um, still in the world. Uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 9, in terms of their behavior. 
Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. What a great church. Ah, brotherly love, Philadelphia, brotherly love. It was often used in the Greek settings to talk about um, family, how, how we, we think about our, our families as, as brothers and sisters, but in the community of the church, Philadelphia meant, man, we treat each other as brothers and sisters here, fathers and mothers. We're a family. And they had a great church because they loved one another as a family. Uh, he says in verse 10, For that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. It's not only in the church, not in the Thessalonica, but you're loving the, the whole province. Uh, it's, it's a neat church. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more. And so he's heard a report about something that isn't quite right. To aspire to live quietly, uh, not be a troublemaker. To mind your own affairs, <laughs> not be a busybody. And to work with your hands as we instructed you, so that you may walk properly before outsiders and not be dependent on, and be dependent on no one. Ah, so there's something under the surface there. Uh, he, he, before he wrote this letter, when he visited Thessalonica, he saw that there was a problem. Idleness and laziness among the people, it was part of the culture, apparently. And there's different reasons why perhaps that was, but he had to call him out. He said, uh, before I commanded you to work with your hands. In other words, go to work, earn your living. Uh, one of the reasons why that was important to him was that he wanted the outsiders to not look down on the church, to see the churches in bad, bad, bad sight, you know, so that the gospel wouldn't be misheard or, or maybe people wouldn't be willing to listen to the gospel. He didn't want a bad reputation coming from the church. He, he told them not to be dependent on anybody. Don't be dependent on anybody. Uh, what's happening here? Some people think that uh, the Thessalonians were quitting their jobs because in, if you read the books of First and, Thess First and Second Thessalonians, uh, Jesus, the, the expectation is Jesus might come back soon. So some people say maybe they're quitting their jobs because Jesus is coming back and they don't need a job anymore. <laughs> Other reasons maybe uh, in, in the Roman culture of the day, there was a kind of a patron-client relationship. Uh, patrons, rich people, would pay money to join their cause or to be about their business. If you're running for office, you gave out money to people. <laughs> Never happens today with politicians, but it happened back then. Uh, you'd gather a following by paying out cash to people, and then you could be at the politician's beck and call whenever he wanted to use you for his ends. So maybe Paul is saying, don't be a client to somebody. Don't be a client to somebody that's going to use you. Don't be dependent on them. But maybe the biggest reason that he's calling them out is that they've become dependent on the church. When they could work, they become dependent on the church. They didn't have any health problems. They didn't have any, uh, you know, they, they weren't elderly. They, they weren't this or that. They could work, but they depended on the goodwill of the church. And Paul struggled with them being leeches. They could work. He struggled with them being sponges, mooching off of others. And he'd warned them before, and he's warning here in, the, in this letter. If you look at uh, chapter 5, verse 14. We urge you, brothers, admonish the idol. <laughs> Call out the idol. Chastise the idol. You know, the idol, it's not just laziness, it's unruliness. You're not living according to the plan. 
you're, you're sinning when you're taking advantage of others. Uh, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted. You know, maybe there's some that are just, you know, they're just overwhelmed by work. You can encourage them. Over, they're overwhelmed by life. That's fine. Help the weak. And so uh, one of the neat things about the church is we help one another in the family of God. You know, we take care of one another. When someone can't work, when they can't get enough food, we are supposed to take care of one another. When they're injured, when they're, when they're out of work, when these things happen, the body of Christ is the rally together to help those who can't take care of themselves. Be patient with them all. Man, sooner or later we'll all need help, won't we? Sooner or later every one of us will need the benevolent ministry of the church, the love of the church, the blessing of the church, the support of the church. But man, if we can work, if we can take care of our, of our needs and feed ourselves, Paul says, yeah, do that. He, he has to write another letter where he addresses the issue again because some are not getting it. Some are still living in idleness. If you look at chapter, uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 6, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 6. Now we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that we've received, you've received from us. And so it becomes a matter of church discipline. <laughs> if there's lazy, idle people who are taking advantage of the church, who are living off the church when they could work, uh, exercise church discipline by socially ostracizing them. That's pretty harsh, right? The sin of idleness, the sin of laziness, the sin of sloth. Uh, it, it, it not only hurts you, it hurts the people around you. Because there's plenty of needy people that these idle people are taking bread from. God provides sustenance. He provides finances. He provides blessing for the church to bless others. And if there's Christians who are able-bodied and, and able to work, able to do their part, able to contribute, and they're not. It's seen as a sin, something that needs to be rectified through church discipline. Then he gives an example, verses 7 through 9. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us, because we were not idle when we were with you. So when there were church planting, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with toil and labor we worked night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you. See, that's the problem. He doesn't want these moochers to be a burden on the church and the mission of the church. It was not because we do not have the right, you know, as an apostle, as a church planner, they had the right to be supported. The ox that treads out the grain is able to eat a little bit of it. We give you ourselves an example, as an example to imitate. And then verse 10, another command, talking about the practical, practical purposes of work. For even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. Wow. Isn't church, aren't we supposed to be just lovey-dovey and just kind and, man, just never, never call anybody to account, never, never call anybody to do anything hard? No, if someone is that, that sponge, that moocher, that user of the church, if someone will not work when they can work, don't give them any money. Don't feed them. That's not our responsibility. Now, of course, again, when someone's sick, when someone's elderly, when someone needs help, we're going to help as the family of God. But if there's that cousin in the family, there's that brother, there's that sister who could work, but they don't for whatever reason, 
Wow, man, the last uh, 30 months, right, has been pretty wild. Crazy times. And we can understand why some people have fallen into the trap of not working. Falling into a, a mindset of being dependent on some other entity for their, their sustenance. Being, being dependent on some other group to take care of them. Certainly I'll get another check in the mail soon. I don't have to work. We're called to repent of those kind of attitudes. Work is given to us by God. He expects us to work. Now, of course, we're in a different society. We have something called retirement now. We live to 90 sometimes. Maybe some of you are retired and you, you, paid, you know, paid into your retirement for 40 years or whatever. And we understand all that. But you're still part of the church and you still contribute to the church, even if you're retired, even if you're not making a paycheck anymore. This mindset of it's all about me and I'm going to use and, and abuse and take for myself, that's wrong in the sight of God. Even if you're not drawing a paycheck, even if you're not at a job anymore, in the workforce anymore, you're still expected to contribute. We all are. That's the family dynamic of the body of Christ. You use your spiritual gifts to bless others. You use your talents and skills to bless others. You serve those in need when you can, and, and then you're served, and, and you're blessed, and you're poured into at a different season, at a different time. Verse 11, for we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. <laughs> it seems that these people who are out of work, who could work but refused, seems like they got in the business of meddling in other people's lives because they had nothing else to do. Ouch. Get to work. Now such persons we command, okay, again, a command, the third command in this text. We command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. Can it be any clearer for us, the practical purpose of work, to earn our own living? Don't be dependent on other people. Don't uh, mooch off of people. Don't use people. Don't use the church or even in the outsiders, in the, the patron-client thing. The, the Christians apparently were, were seeing themselves, I'm going to use that patron, that rich person. I don't have to work. And yet, time would come back when the rich person would say, let's go to war together. You'll be my, my warriors. You'll be my political um, people standing out there cheering my name. And all kinds of compromises enter into that. Paul says, don't be dependent on anybody outside the church or inside the church. If you can work, take care of your own needs. Uh, okay. Check. Work is an important matter. Work is something that God has given us to provide for ourselves, to provide for others, to love others, to serve others, to bless others. But then you go to work. Anybody been at work this week? And you're now just saying, man, I, I'm so glad I don't have to go back to work till Tuesday. <sighs> Some of you are saying, oh, I'm so glad I'm retired. Praise God. I made it through my work life. I don't have to go back to work. And so even, even logically or rationally, we can understand that we, we're called to work and we need to work for our own ends and for the blessing of others. Sometimes it still feels like a necessary 
evil. Man, work is hard. The people I have to work with are hard. You can see here at this church, the people I have to work, just kidding. <laughs> Challenging people, just kidding. But you, in your setting, your environment, I, I think oftentimes the last thing we want to do is go to work. Or maybe it's a means to an end. Maybe I work hard, hard, hard for weeks and weeks and weeks just so I can get those three-day weekends to go camp or go fish. Or Do we just work to go to play? Is it a means to an end? Do we just work to get retirement someday so we can get that RV and drive off into the sunset? Is that all work is about? Is it really just an evil thing we have to do week by week? There was a civil servant who was at City Hall, and uh, unfortunately, he fell down the stairs. He was badly hurt. He was in a coma for several days. Finally, he opened one eye, and his doctor said, friend, I've got bad news for you, and I've got good news for you. You're never going to work again. And the guy, the civil servant said, well, tell me what the bad news is. The good news was he didn't have to go back to work. The bad news was, what would that be like? What could be bad compared to not going back to work? Be good compared to not going back to work. See, that mindset, that, that attitude, that, that sense of, ah, oh, I hate work. Do we live with that as Christians? Is that how we view things? So beyond the practical purpose of work, how should we think about work? What is the deeper purpose of work? What are we called to in work? Back to Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, please. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground, breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, where, and there he put a man whom he had formed, and out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, tree of the knowledge, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And drop down to verse 15. The Lord God, Yahweh Elohim, took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. <laughs> the first thing God had mankind do is work. Work didn't start after the fall, like everything's perfect and life is good and then sin came and then we have to go to work. That's not the biblical theology of work, a biblical understanding of work. Work was part of God's divine design for humanity. Work was part of something that God had written into the fabric of His plan of our existence. Work was created good in the sight of God. If we think that work is just this evil, necessary thing we have to do in the short term, we need to change our mindset. 
work has incredible purpose in the economy and the sovereignty of God, the plan of God. Look back at a little bit farther in Genesis, verse 27, chapter 1, verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created him. We're, we're created to reflect God. We're created to image God, to be like God before a watching universe in some ways. His characteristics are to be our characteristics. We're supposed to reflect him. And God, verse 28, blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heaven and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Uh, and so God's image bearers, they're given responsibility. They're given stewardship of the earth. They're given dominion of the earth. They're called to serve Yahweh. They're called to serve the Lord. And there's this fascinating word called subdue. There, uh, subdue. Uh, this word there. Uh, after God created the heavens and the earth, what did He do? For six days, He subdued the creation. In other words, He brought order to the chaos. He brought structure. He brought beauty to the world. For six days, He labored. And at the end, it was very good. And we as image bearers, reflectors of the Lord, He calls us to subdue. Like our work, our, our job, our, our mission in the beginning was to take this world with so much potential... So much potential for beauty. So much potential for order. So much potential for right. We're called as image bearers to go to work in the garden to bring out its beauty. To plant orchards, as it were. To plant fields, as it were. To bring forth musical instruments. To bring forth language. To bring forth culture. To bring forth the fullness that God had intended from the beginning to the end of, his, of the world's existence, to bring, bring forth as God created life. We're supposed to bring forth life in all its various forms. Uh, it's called the cultural mandate. Change the world through our work. Bring forth God's preferred structure and God's preferred uh, wonder in God's outcomes through our efforts. And so really what you think about, when you think about the image of, of God, think about statues that are placed here and there and everywhere. Fill the earth with all these statues with these little idols in the positive sense of the word, and they're supposed to reflect God. They're doing the things that God is supposed to be, do, that God did before they're, with their creativity, with their power, with their strength that God has endued them with. They're supposed to be creative and, and bring structure to things. And even to today, we have this idea that as we go to, to work in our settings, in our job, or our, our, our staying home and taking care of the kids in our in household, bringing order out of the chaos for God's glory. Work is a good thing. It's a positive thing. And yet, we know that sin came into the world. Sin makes work hard. In chapter 3, we see that the ground was cursed, not only did people lose their life? They, they died because of sin. The wages of sin is death, but the ground was cursed. And so we have this, this dichotomy. We have this thing going on where, yeah, work is good. Still, as humans, we're called to image God and reflect God and work for His glory in the world, bringing order out of the chaos, bringing beauty, bringing structure. It's a wonderful thing to work. And yet, we know when we go to work, it's going to be hard now. It's going to be challenging. It's going to be difficult because sin... We're sinners, and the people we work with are sinners, and the structures and the institutions are not perfect. They got their issues, and they got their foibles and their follies and their evils. And yet, we're supposed to go to work. 
for God's glory. It's good, but it's hard. And God calls us as Christians, now us who were a mess, us who were kicked out of the garden, us who were uh, twisted and turned and, and turned inward into ourself. And when Christ comes into our life, He redeems us, He rescues us, and He calls us back to the original purpose. Where everyone else, maybe it's you're working with, it's all about them. They're selfish. They just want to make money. They just want to exalt themselves. They just want to make it about their glory. We as Christians go to work for God's glory. We can redeem work. We can use our powers again, the, the God-given strengths again, to, to make a difference and to change things and to serve people again. An outward focus instead of the inward me, me, me of idolatry. Uh, how does this look? How does this play out? What, what do you mean, Jerome? Let, let me explain. Just in a very provocative text, a very uh, incredible text, it's almost shocking to read sometimes. Colossians chapter 3, verse 22. Colossians chapter 3, verse 22. What do you mean, work for the glory of God? What do you mean, bring order out of the chaos? I just want to go to work and make some money so I can go play. No, you have a bigger purpose as a Christian. Your work is more meaningful than that. Your work is more purposeful than that. Now listen to this. Verse 22 of chapter 3 of Colossians. Bond servants. Okay, in the Roman Empire, uh, a vast uh, amount of the population were slaves. From all different uh, regions, all different parts of the empire, every city was filled with slaves. All the rich people had slaves. And the funny thing is, like uh, when the gospel came into Rome, when the gospel came into Colossae, when the gospel came into Thessalonica, crazy things started to happen. Uh, Paul said that there's neither male nor female, there's neither Jew nor Gentile, there's ne neither slave nor free in Jesus Christ. And so you can imagine some of the church meetings where for decades or centuries even, there was this structure in place, you don't mingle, you don't come together with these other groups, and now in Christ... They're family. They're brothers and sisters. Wow! And yet, how do you live in that culture if you're a slave? How do you go to work <laughs> when you have no hope of a future, when you're just working for the master, when you're just, you're just trying to exist and survive? Listen to what Paul says. Bondservants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters. And that's controversial in and of itself, but nevertheless, not by way of eye service, as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Oh, so see, here's how it is. Even in today's corporate world, I, I read something the other day about a slow quit. People are slow quitting these days. Okay, so you do the least amount of work possible for the corporate job. And you're kind of slowly sliding out, but you keep your benefits, you keep the paycheck coming. Whenever someone's watching you, you work like you care. But when no one's watching, you do the least amount of work possible. Oh, can't I, wouldn't that be hard to go to, to work like that? Just to be a people pleaser when the boss is watching you work, but when he's not or she's not, you, you just get lazy. It's happened today. It happened back then. Paul says, don't be that way. Because... You're not serving them. 
He's talking to the slaves. Really, Christian, who do you serve? You fear the Lord, don't you? You worship the Lord, don't you? Whatever you do, work heartily. Again, the proverbial wisdom, the Old Testament wisdom, work hard. As for the Lord and not for men. Knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. Uh, and that means any job, by extension, whether you're a garbage collector, whether you're a lawyer, whether you're a judge, whether you're a teacher, whether you're a nurse, whether you're a rancher, you know, whether you're a medical tech, whether you're an accountant, whether you're retired, whether you're a grandparent, whatever work you do, all of it can be done in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. You might not be appreciated at work. You might not be respected at work. People might trash you at work. People might use and abuse you at work. But when you go to work, the purpose is not for your glory. The purpose is not for your fame. The purpose is not for your bling bling. The purpose is not for you to be exalted. I'll tell you the truth. If you look at work as something that you want to get happiness out of, most jobs can't produce that. If you go to work trying to use work as a means of contentment or satisfaction, good luck with that. It's kind of like getting married and expecting that person you marry to make you happy. Good luck with that. It's not what marriage is for. That's not what work is for. But people are trying to always make their jobs, make them happy. It's not what jobs are for. And so they bounce from this job to that job, looking for something better all the time. I'm going to find that job one day that's so good, I'm really going to enjoy it. That's not, what, that's not what work is for. You try to make work make you happy or make you content, you're going to be sadly, sadly disappointed if you have that expectation. That's not what jobs are for. In the kingdom of God, we have been designed to work for God's glory. As Christians who have been redeemed and saved and brought back into our original purpose, everything we do is unto the Lord. If you, if you stay at home and you take care of the kids all day and, and take care of that house, that's unto the Lord, amen? Whatever it is, is unto the Lord. And the Lord is the one who rewards. The Lord is the one who blesses. The Lord is the one who sees you and says, well done, good and faithful servant. Or not. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Some people, man, a third of our life is at work, a third of our life is at a job, and some people don't use their jobs for the glory of God. Some Christians go to work and they separate their Christian faith from their secular world. God's going to judge that. We're supposed to use all of our life for the glory of God. You can't separate those out, can you? If you love the Lord Jesus, if you're a servant of the Lord Jesus, or you're following God, if you're a Christian, everything comes under the reign of the King. Everything comes under the banner of serving Him. There is no menial job that is done by you right now that does not have the possibility of glorifying God. Just don't misuse it. You'll bear with me for a few more minutes and look over at Philippians. Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, verse 4. Now, chapter, chapter 2, verse 3, rather. 
a mind-blowing concept here, an amazing uh, outlook on life. In our current secular world, man, you watch enough TV, you watch enough movies, you go on social media, what's it all about? It's all about me. It's all about my satisfaction, and I get what I want. I'm using others for my ends and my purposes. Uh, and yet, as Christians, we're called to, verse 3, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to your own interest, but also to the interest of others. A radical mindset, a radical worldview. And this could translate to your workplace. This could translate to your job, your, your work, even if you're retired. And it should. Have you ever heard the term vocation? Uh, maybe you heard of vocational counselors, uh, work, work counselors, whatever. A vocation, vocatio, is a Latin word that means to call or to summon. And Martin Luther, the, the great uh, Lutheran, you know, the beginning of the Lutheran church, this guy, he was so big on vocations. He said, God works through vocations. Okay, God, your station in life, your vocation, you've been, every Christian has a calling. Sometimes in the Christian world we say only the pastor has a calling. Are you called to ministry? Uh, the missionary has a calling, but it, it, the, I think the healthier way to think about it, everybody has a calling. We've all received a vocation, and through our lives, we have several different vocations. We're, we have the vocation, the calling of being a neighbor. We have the vocation of calling, the calling of being a spouse. We have the vocation of calling to be a child. We have the vocation to be a citizen. We have a vocation to be a farmer or a rancher or a nurse or whatever. We have all these different vocations that God, God works through these callings. The station that you have, that you're in right now, you've been called to that. Okay? And it's a means that God uses to bless people. How does God answer prayer? Sometimes miraculously. Sometimes, boom! Yeah, thank you God, the prayer is answered and it just, you know, there's no middleman, so to speak. But typically, God answers prayer and God works in this world providentially. Okay? He works through systems or structures or institutions. And usually, He works through people. So how does healing come? I pray for miracles all the time for people. You know, my index is typically full of people that ask for prayer. Pastor, pray for me on this. God usually works through people and how that plays out uh, in our society often through, through health care workers, through doctors and nurses and medical techs and physical assistants or, or uh, uh, the, the different, even, even the hospital receptionist, God works through that. The different people, the janitors at the hospital, God works through these vocations, these callings, to bring His healing through people. How does God feed people? Through vocations, through callings, through the ranchers and farmers, through the bakers and the cooks, right? through the suppliers that bring food to our grocery stores. God works through those kind of vocations. You have a vocation. Right? How does God work justice? Right? He works through judges and lawyers and magistrates and civil servants and elected officials, through police officers. God brings justice and, and protection through people. And I would say that you have, right where you are right now, in, in your family, in your neighborhood, in your society, in your, in your town, we all have these vocations, these callings. We've been summoned to serve. And it's a great, great blessing to serve. God works through you to bless the society. 
So we look at that from our workplace when Philippians 2, verses 3 through 4 says, man, don't think about yourself. That's not your calling. It's to think about others and how you're going to serve them, how you're going to, if you're retired, if you're six years old, you're still a servant in God's kingdom. You never stop, even when you retire. Uh, I, I found this story this week, and I, I didn't uh, take the time to memorize it, so let me read it to you. About the power of work, the power of God working through your work, your vocation to serve people. The USS Astoria was the first U.S. cruiser to engage the Japanese during the Battle of Savo Island, a night action fought 8-9 uh, August 1942. Although she scored two hits on the Imperial flagship Chikai, the Astoria was badly damaged and sank shortly after noon, the 9th of August. About 0200 hours, a young Midwesterner, signalman third-class Elgin Staples, was swept overboard by the blast when the Astoria's number one eight-inch gun turret turret exploded. Wounded in both legs by shrapnel and in semi-shock, he was kept afloat by a narrow life belt that he managed to activate with a simple trigger mechanism. So he's wearing a life belt around his waist. Around 0600 hours, Staples, Staples was rescued by a passing destroyer and returned to Astoria, whose captain was attempting to save the cruiser by beaching her. The effort failed and Staples, still wearing the same life belt, found himself back in the water. It was lunchtime, picked up again, the same, this time by the US President, USSS President Jackson. He was one of 500 survivors of the battle who were evacuated to Nomia. On board the transport, Staples, for the first time, closely examined the life belt that had served him so well. It was manufactured by Firestone Tire and Rubber Company of Akron, Ohio, and it bore a registration number. Given home leave, Staples told his story and asked his mother, who worked for Firestone, about the purpose of the number on the belt. She replied that the company insisted on the personal responsibility for the war effort and that the number was unique and assigned to only one inspector. Staples remembered everything about the life belt and quoted the number. It was his mother's personal code and affixed to every item she was responsible for approving. Through her good work, she saved her son. Through our good work in the community, through our vocations, through our callings, we bless people. Do you realize one of the purposes of work is to glorify God, but the other purpose of work is to serve and love people? Whether you're a teacher, whether you're, you know, whatever your vocation is, you are somebody who's blessing people in Jesus' name through your good work through your hard work, through your efforts. It's not just about money. Again, if you make it about money, if you make it about your satisfaction, your contentment, you're going to be disappointed. But if you use it as God intended for His glory and for the benefit of other people, you're going to be well pleased. The only thing that our works can't do is save us. Amen? That's why the gospel is preached in verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus has labored for us. Jesus' labor saved us on the cross. We can't save ourselves, but we in response to his great saving work, 
doing something we couldn't do for ourselves. In response, we now labor for Him in this world, in our vocations, in our work, in our jobs, whatever that is. Don't you ever think, don't you ever believe that work is just a necessary evil? God changes the world. God works in people's lives, blesses people through your good work. Keep working. But work in Jesus' name for the glory of God and the good of people. Please stand in His presence. Heavenly Father, we thank You on this Labor Day weekend for all the things You've given us to do under the sun. Lord, we thank You, and, and as Ecclesiastes say, the, the, most, the best thing we can do with our labor sometimes is just enjoy them, <laughs> to receive them as a gift, to do them for good. So Lord, we thank You. We ask as we go back to work Tuesday or tomorrow, whenever, when we go back to work and serve in different places, that you'd change our attitude if it's been bad. You, you'd re recycle and, and re remind us of the truth that everything has been redeemed in Jesus Christ, including our jobs. So we ask for power, Lord, to go to work, and may you be glorified. Give us the grace to see our work as impactful in serving people and loving people and changing lives. And may you get the glory and the honor and, and praise as we work for your glory. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. The gospel according to the Bible is that Jesus Christ, who was and is the eternal God, took on human flesh, was born of a virgin, died for our sins on the cross, and rose from the dead three days later. He then ascended to the Father's right hand, where he sits making intercession for his people, and right now he is establishing the kingdom of God on earth. You can enter into a saving relationship with God by repenting of your sins and placing your full trust in Jesus' life, his death and resurrection on your behalf. In Christ you will find forgiveness, acceptance, freedom, peace, hope, and a future. If you would like more information about Christianity, or Living Water Bible Fellowship, visit our website at livingwateralamosa.org. God bless.